Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. Hello, everyone. Going to let you finish your conversations about winter. I'm sure they're thrilling. <laughs> Actually, I do hope they are. I'm Britt. I'm one of the pastors here, um, and I have the privilege of preaching this morning and having spent time in the Word and kind of exploring what God's up to and yeah, it's good. If it's your first time, thanks so much for being with us this morning. We're Red Church. We don't all wear red. Except one day. Actually, we did do it last year. It was great. We should do it again. No, some are saying no. Anyway, we'll see. Um, I don't know how you've landed today, what's going on in your world. There'll be people in the room who are just absolutely loving winter. I feel like things are really in alignment in life. Yeah, got a whoop from Andy. He does love winter. But there are others in the room who maybe this week's been a bit tough, or even this month has been. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that and realize that when we gather as Jesus' bride, as his church, he actually wants to minister, each, minister to each one of you. That he's here this morning, and he wants to speak to you, and he wants to reveal who he is. And so we're going to step into more of that as I preach, but I, I really want to just honor him this morning and recognize that he's here. Um, and I encourage you to be open to what he wants to do this morning. So understanding a new part of who he is. Because we are coming to him with all these different things. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in the person next to you, whether you know or not. And do you know what? Collectively, we're also journeying together. There are things going on in our congregation. We're supporting the Sayers family as Trudy battles through cancer. So there's a collective sense of, hey, Jesus, we really need you in this time. We don't know what's next. But also we're in a time that God's up to something. We keep hearing stories about this. And stories not just from outside of this, like around the world, outside of this congregation, but also within it. God's up to something. And so I'd love to just spend some time with Jesus this morning, because that's why we've gathered, isn't it? Under his name and the power of his kingdom from what he's done. And the thing is, when we encounter Jesus, when we spend time with him, we can't help but be changed. He has that effect. Any time with Jesus changes who you are. Isn't that incredible to think about? Maybe you've journeyed with Jesus for a while and it hasn't felt like that for some time. I believe this morning he wants to awaken that in you. Or maybe you haven't met him yet. But believe me, when you meet him, your life will be changed. And I think at the moment what Jesus is up to with his church across the world, in different places, but also with us, is he's renewing our identity as his bride. That's what he's doing. He's shaping us. He's reminding us of who we are because there are a bunch of us sitting in this room right now who are asking that question. In fact, if you're a human, just last time I checked, pretty sure you all are, you're asking that question. What's my purpose? What am I doing? Where am I? Am I in what I'm meant to be doing? I don't know. How's family going? How's life? How's this? We're all asking that question individually, but also what I want to focus on this morning is how do we ask that collectively? What are you doing with us as a generation in this time, Jesus, as your followers, as sons and daughters of yours, as we come together on Sundays to be reminded that actually our story is this story, that we're a part of that. You are still at work wanting to bring renewal to your creation. And what's our identity? What's our role in that as your people? 
So we're going to jump into the word, of course. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but um, maybe sometimes new Christian or you're just like, I don't know, I've never really explored the Bible and you do the Bible flip where you're just like, there's a lot going on in my life and I really need a word from God. I'm going to go to the word and just see what happens. And do you know what? Sometimes God really speaks through that, right? Sometimes you're like, whoa, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And then other times you open it up to Exodus and it's talking about cubits of the temple. And you're like, man, I don't really think cubits is what I need right now. That's not going to solve my dilemmas. But the thing is, this word is incredible. And God does want to speak to you through it. So let's open it up. Let's explore it. And let's see what he wants to say this morning, hey? So we're going to go to a gospel. And we are going to read just it's a small section. And then we're just going to explore that a little bit. So I'm going to get started. And then I'll give you some context. But I encourage you, this story that we, we know so well, or some of us know so well, some are coming to know, was always designed to be heard. So we read it, yes, that's good, there's different ways, but it was an oral tradition originally. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes if you feel comfortable and imagine this story. Try and put yourself in that setting. I'm going to do my best to take you there, but try and really listen. Even Yeah, close your eyes if you want. The words will be up on the screen, but I encourage you just to listen to this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. A wedding in Israel. This means that the whole town is turned up, the whole village. There are people everywhere. There's a sound of music. There's a smell of roasting meat and spices. There are flowers everywhere, and you catch a hint of wine with your nose as you enter the space. There are people here who have journeyed through life together. Generations are gathering together. There's a whole sense of celebration and excitement as two people are deciding to commit to one another. These people that you've seen grow from such a young age that you've watched or worked alongside their parents, you're there to celebrate today. And weddings in this time also, they're gonna last for 10 days. This is a great celebration, a time to be still and acknowledge what a wedding represents. So Jesus is there with his disciples, and they've all been invited to this wedding. And it says, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, hey, Jesus, they have no more wine. And Jesus turns around and says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, these servants who've been running around, serving, caring, preparing, facilitating this space, she brings them in close and she says, do whatever he tells you. And as Jesus stands before these servants, as they wait for their instructions, feeling the nervousness of not having enough wine, of things possibly going wrong, Jesus notices in the room that nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. It's about 110 litres. And Jesus turns to the servants and he says, fill the jars with water. 
And so they obediently go and fill the jars to the brim, unsure of how this is going to be linked to the celebration, but doing it anyway, carrying water and filling it over and over again. Then Jesus says to them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. The servants nervously draw out the water, handshaking as they fill the cup, unsure of what they're delivering to the master of the banquet who is leading this, whose responsibility is to see that the celebration continues. And they walk through the crowd, bumping into people as they're dancing and celebrating, holding this cup. And they take it to the master of the banquet. And he tasted the water, and they realized that it had been turned into wine. Although the master didn't know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn that out the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. Can you imagine the servants watching this, witnessing this? What has just happened? And it ends with this line. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Did you know you're going to a wedding this morning? (laughs) This is such a beautiful passage. It's in the Gospel of John, which I would like to say is my favorite gospel. It's okay to have favorites sometimes. Gospel of John is beautiful. It's a little bit different to the other Gospels. The Gospels are in the New Testament. It's how the New Testament begins. The Gospel is the good news, and it tells of who Jesus is. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels because they are very similar in the way that they tell the story of Jesus. You can sit them side by side and see all the different stories. And then there's John, the individual who's like, I'm going to do it differently. And he is a storyteller. He is a poetic writer, and he calls himself the one that Jesus loved. Which makes you think, (laughs) Jesus loved all of them, right? Obviously, John really needed to hear that or know that. (laughs) And maybe this morning you do too. But what I love about John is the way that he crafts things. He tells a story to show us who Jesus is. And he's not like Matthew. If you're a details person, Matthew is your gospel. He's going to tell you everything that's happening. He's going to tell you about how Jesus tied his shoes that day, what way the wind was blowing, everything. You're going to know it. Matthew's he's dotted it. He's got it down. John is going to make you feel something. And some of you, if you like detail, you're going to be like, yeah, but what's the point? I love that there's so many different expressions in the Gospels. So John, he is more poetic, he does do more narrative, but he also puts in these little clues to teach us about what he's actually communicating. And so we're going to explore that today, and I'm going to do it with you because I love doing this, and it's the word and it's good. Um, So we're going to go back to the first part of this passage. Um, Maddie, if you could, wonderful. It says at the start there, on the third day, what happens on day three in the Bible? On the third day, does that sound familiar to you? Can someone tell me other moments without, throughout our big narrative about the third day? Resurrection. Resurrection. You've gone forward. How about going backwards? Oh, there's, there's some stuff happening on the third day in creation. Yeah, it's good. Anyone else? 
What else does the third day remind you of? Jonah, yes. Jonah was in the whale and then on the third day it came out. So what does this phrase mean? It means, hey, readers anticipate that some sort of resurrection or new creation is about to happen. So as readers, as people of this story, John is relying on you knowing this story, saying, hey, remember when the third day happened, when that came? So let's hold that in mind. Resurrection, new creation, something's coming. And as I said, the wedding took, it says the wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. So also looking at like the big story, where does it fit in that? But also where are we geographically? With north of Jerusalem, we're in Israel. See if Galilee sounds familiar to us. What else happens in Galilee? There's a bunch of stuff that takes place there. Where does Jesus end up after resurrection? Yeah, he's in the Sea of Galilee. Again, resurrection, life. Okay, what is John trying to pick, like, pitch here? This is the very beginning of his gospel too. The other thing that we take note of is who is in this story? Who are the characters? We've got Jesus, his mother, the disciples, and the servants. How do we understand what they're doing? Where, when you were imagining it, were you sitting with Jesus or were you maybe in the crowd? Were you standing with his mum as she spoke to her son? It's really important to take note of who he has included and what they represent. And as Andy just did, points out that we're in a particular point in this story. Jesus has not died yet or risen again. So let's try and put ourselves in that place because we're really good at remembering this side because this is where we live of Jesus' resurrection. But that hasn't happened yet. And finally, we're going to look at some invitations and actions. There's always something in this. So let's come to it with those thoughts because we all know this word. On the third day, we're looking for resurrection. We're looking at the characters. And we're going to look at some themes as well. The Bible has so many themes throughout it. So let's start by looking at the wedding. If you notice in all of the Gospels, any time a wedding is mentioned, it doesn't actually talk about the ceremony. Jesus talks about other things, but there's heaps of times throughout Scripture that weddings are you know, noted or spoken about. And in the Old Testament, this theme is similar. It talks about a party, a banquet, there's some sort of celebration. It represents something. So when we think wedding, don't think ceremony. Think, okay, this is a celebration of some kind. There's something bigger going on. In the Old Testament, it's salvation is described as a party. Isn't that funny? Have you ever thought about your salvation as a party? Maybe not. But in the Old Testament, that's what it said. And God speaks of Israel In this salvation, he speaks of Israel and the the relationship he has with his people, Israel, his beloved people that he saved as his bride. The beloved people. It says in Isaiah 62 and Ezekiel 16 and in Jeremiah Jeremiah 2.1, this is what it says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. This imagery of wedding this banquet, this celebration, is an expression of the relationship that we have with God, that we are his bride, his people, we are his bride, that he loves that kind of relationship. Think of what a wedding represents, that intimacy with someone, that connection. You have a joint purpose. He sees us as his people in that way. We are his bride. And what is he after? 
at a wedding, you don't marry someone just because they have a great status or, you know, the family they come with or because you're lonely or, I mean, all those other reasons. You marry them because you love them and you, and you desire their heart and you want to encourage them and be in relationship with them, you want to do life with them. This is what God says to Israel. I love you fiercely. You are my people. I want to be with you and near you. I want to be close. And we have a purpose together. It's a language of the Old Testament. It's beautiful. And he says to them, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me when God's people loved him and they were in relationship with him. It makes more sense then when you read in the Old Testament and God talks about the adultery of his people. Because what are they doing? They're loving something else than him. It's another definition for sin, actually, when we love something other than God. But that language of adultery reminds you of the wedding and the marriage. Think about all the covenant language of the Old Testament. You were in relationship with him. He desires that. And then we've got the New Testament. We fast forward. We're in the Gospels. This is where we are. We're looking at the banquet. That imagery is frequent in Jesus' teaching. He uses this again. It's the same theme. People of God, you are designed to be in deep relationship with your God. And a sense of celebration and excitement. And if you fast forward even further to Revelation, which is the telling of the end, where we're headed when Jesus returns, what's the language that's used? Revelation 19.9, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's the wedding again. Come and sit at the table, come to the banquet, come to the celebration of the Lamb when Jesus returns. In Revelation 21, it says, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. God is shaping us into the perfect bride. That's what he does with his people. That's the kind of relationship he wants with us. And so we have this first theme, the wedding. It's seen all throughout Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's where we're headed at that time. We're headed for a celebration, everyone. Isn't that exciting? Everybody loves a meal. We're going to be hanging out with Jesus, drinking some good wine, eating some lamb, a bunch of other stuff. And what, you know, that feeling at a wedding, think about it, the joy, the celebration, the dancing, all those things, the excitement, the anticipation of the couple and where they're headed and what it means. There's something so beautiful about it. <clears throat> so we've got our first theme, the wine. Second one, oh, the wedding, sorry. Second theme in this text is the wine. Now let me tell you, in this time, as I described, weddings were not just <clears throat> over the weekend. It's like a 10-day event. Can you imagine? You some stamina for that sort of thing, right? Hey, work, I'm off. I got a week of celebrating. Imagine, how great would that be? And like the whole village is there. So when Jesus turns up, some scholars say that Mary probably has some relatives at this place. So when Jesus turns up, if you've seen The Chosen, I love the way they do this. It's just like, hey, Jesus, hey, oh, hey, hey, gone. It's good to see. And he's hugging old friends, people he's played with. Like, imagine yourself there. You know, everyone in the room, there's all these people, everyone's come together. And because this wedding lasts so long, there's this celebration, there's different ceremonies that take place, but a really key part of this wedding, which we all know really well, is the wine, right? How great's wine? Bring something. But the wine's run out. And can I just say, for this context, that's actually a real 
like a social, you know. <laughs> you run out of wine, you basically don't have a wedding. That's what's happening here. And so they're actually quite stressed. It's not just like, oh, well, we'll just serve some white wine or we'll get out some gin. No. <laughs> the wine represents something. It's symbolic of celebration. It continues that celebration. But what about that theme? What does the wine represent? Again, if you look back, if you look at Isaiah 25, there's this prophetic image of final salvation. And it's beautiful. It says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He'll remove his people's disgrace from all earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in this salvation. So this wine doesn't just mean celebration. To the people at this banquet, think of the imagery of the wine, what it represents, new life, salvation. Those words in there, the wiping away of tears, it's the same as Revelation. All this imagery is meant to come back to us, to be like, hold on, if the wine runs out, has salvation not come? And it says, let us rejoice and be glad. What are the marks of a wedding? If you think about it, there's three things that are part of a wedding. There's a sense of joy and celebration, and the wine is, you know, loosens things up. How people do that. But also at a wedding, there's purpose, isn't there? You're seeing two people being like, I'm going to live my life alongside you for the kingdom. And finally, at a wedding, there's that deep, deep sense of connection because you're witnessing an intimacy that actually we all crave. It's meant to be something bigger than just the people who are getting married. Actually, these celebrations are, as I said, a reminder that we are the bride of Christ that we are meant to be in relationship with God that way. And this is the things that they're thinking about when they're sitting at the table, when they're singing and dancing and celebrating. They're telling God's story. They're reminding themselves. Everyone at the wedding is participating in this. It's not just the bride and groom. And so if that's what the wedding is meant to look like, if it's meant to have those three elements, joy, purpose, and connection, isn't it true that perhaps we as the bride as the church should also emanate those things. But when you sit here this morning, is that what you see? Is that what you feel? Does it feel like a celebration? You come every Sunday to be reminded of one of the best stories that's not just a story, but of your salvation. And shouldn't that cause joy in us? Shouldn't that be just the most exciting thing that you want to dance and sing about, that you want to just spend hours in? I can't tell you how many people, and we all ask this question. I said at the start, what's my purpose? Actually, you come to a Sunday to remember your purpose collectively is to celebrate and tell of this story, to be people that take this party, this banquet, outside and offer it to others and say, come, Come to the banquet, come and celebrate, come and meet the king. And finally, that sense of connection, 
And it's not just, as I said, that level of, okay, you're connected to people in a room. The connection is with God, which is actually what your heart desires. Can I be honest? As a pastor, we hear so much at the moment. I just really want to be connected. I just, I don't, I don't feel connected. And we hear that and we're creating spaces for that to take place. But if you go a little deeper, I believe that connection is also, or at its heart, is with God. Because when you're connected to him, when you come to celebrate him, to dance with him, you're invited his bride. As you sit in that beautiful, deep relationship with him, as you do that, you will naturally be connected to the person beside you because they're going to do the same thing. As they come, as you sit here, as you seek him, your connection comes. It's almost like if you're looking at the same thing, you're going to run into each other almost. Our connection will become greater with one another as we connect more with him as his bride. In Revelation 19.7, it says, For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Are we ready? Is that what Jesus is up to right now? Is he helping us get ready for this wedding, for that reminder? Every generation prepares themselves. Every generation, the people of God, prepare themselves for his presence. He is shaping our identity collectively. He's doing different things in you, but when you put it all together, he's shaping us. He's making us that bride. What does that preparation look like? I want to continue on and look at two characters in this. Firstly, I want to look at Mary's response. Think of Mary. She's the mother of Jesus. It's very early on the Gospels, and almost she comes to Jesus being like, this is Jesus, my son. I know so much about him. I know what it sounds like when he wakes up. I know the weird like tick he has when he eats. I know how he ties his shoes. I remember when I combed his hair, like that intimate relationship she has with him. So you can almost imagine her coming to Jesus being like, don't worry, guys, I know someone who can sort this. And she comes up to Jesus and is just like, hey, do you reckon you could, that whole miracle thing that you got up your sleeve that you haven't really done yet, do you reckon we could unleash it? I'm a bit of creative license there, let's be honest. But biblical scholars do say it's really fascinating to watch the change in Mary. And she comes to Jesus and says, basically, almost like Israel, saying, hey, they're going to run out of wine. Their joy, their purpose, their connection, their loss. Jesus, can you do something? And his response to her is, yes, my hour has not yet come. And when he says my hour, that's a repeated theme throughout the Bible. That's the hour of his death and resurrection. But what does he say? The kingdom is at hand, so it has begun. And so he begins it by being like, but I will release some of that new creation now. And Mary's response turns from that deep relational, oh, I know who Jesus is, to the servant saying, hey, do whatever he tells you. She becomes his servant. She honors him, obeys him. She puts him as Lord. There's a change in her relationship in that moment. Second, the servants. It's fascinating to see that they're just called servants. As I described, they would have been running around doing a bunch of stuff. Jesus just says to them, fill the jars with water. Can you imagine what they're thinking, though? How grumpy would you be if you're just like, well, who's this bloke? He's just turned up. We need wine. And he's like, do you reckon you could just fill the jars that we clean our hands with, with some water? 
There's a little bit of that, wouldn't it? You, you might have that kind of perspective being like, I don't know if this is going to help, but okay. Like I'm, or, you know, they're kind of like, well, we're desperate. People are going to start hassling us. But I like that they just do it. There's an obedience in there, isn't there? They just were like, okay, well, we'll feel it. We have no idea what you're about to do or how this could possibly work or why this is even important, but we'll do it. And the other thing to take note in this is that John points out that these stonewater jars, they're not just any jars, they're the kinds used for ceremonial washing. Jesus is about to change the narrative. He puts water in these, but it's not for ceremonial washing anymore. It's for celebration. The kingdom, the new kingdom is at hand. It doesn't just require what it used to. He's changing the law into the new law, into the new covenant, into creation, the new kingdom to celebration. He's making that change. And so we hold all of these things. As we sat with this passage, we look at that theme of the wedding, of the celebration, of the wine, as it brings that celebration, that reminder that we need God's presence for that joy and purpose and connection. And then we have these different responses. There's something going on here. And it's really only until you get to the end of the passage. And I read it briefly and you might have missed it. But John gives us a hint. He says, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I believe Jesus is renewing us. He's inviting us to this wedding. He wants to bring new creation. He is doing this with us. Because what, is, what does it say about him? It was the same of God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still at work doing that. And how does he do it? How does he renew our identity as the bride of Christ? He renews our identity by revealing his. He renews our identity, our, all of us, the collectively, by revealing his. We are seeing the revelation of Jesus in his glory, in his power. We've talked about it over the last three weeks. Daniel talked about this in his bigness and his closeness. I said at the beginning, and I, I 100% believe this, when we encounter Jesus, we can't help but be changed. He is changing people. You're sitting here. Your stories are evidence of encounters with Jesus. Because what is he doing? He is renewing our identity by revealing his. That is what he's up to with us as a church. That's actually what he's up to with the church across the world, I believe. We have forgotten who we are. And he's saying, I'm coming close and I will remind you and I will shape you into the bride you were designed to be. Because every generation is called to come to that celebration and to invite others along. So John tells us, this sign, you know his whole gospel, the first half, is just sign after sign after sign after sign. Miracles, he talks and he calls them signs. But what's happening here, it's revealing God's glory. And I love the second part. The disciples are mentioned at the start of the passage and then we don't hear from them until the very end. And the last part of that verse in 11 is, and his disciples believed in him. There's a revelation of his glory, and then the disciples believe. 
Guys, we're the disciples in this story, hey? Will we believe in him? Maybe today is the day that you come back to that being like, actually, do you know what? I've, I've walked away. I've lost some hope. He's saying, will you believe in me? That I can bring this change just as I made water into wine. N.T. Wright says, when he's talking about this passage, Matt, if you could throw this one up, that would be great. Ta. Well, the N.T. Wright quote, a little bit further along. That's it. Signs. When he's talking about signs in John's gospel, these moments when heaven is opened, when the transforming power of God's love bursts into the present world, it is about transformation, the different dimension of reality that comes into being when Jesus is present and when, as Mary tells the servants, people do whatever Jesus tells them. So this story isn't just about water being turned into wine. This is about the transformation that Jesus has come to bring. It's the first sign of his glory of what is to come. This is what Jesus does. This is what he's doing now in your life, and this is what he's doing to us as a church. His church. He's bringing that transformation. He's revealing his glory. Let me tell you about how he's doing it at Red. Let me tell you about the stories that we've heard. I don't know if you remember, it was a while back, but at Easter we heard testimony of someone who said, do you know what? Jesus is redeeming narratives from my past. Someone stood here and said, hey, I've actually been wrestling with this for years and years, and Jesus came and spoke directly to something in my life and changed it in that moment. How is Jesus revealing his glory at Red? He's changing and redeeming the narratives of the past. There are people in this room who are encountering Jesus in a new way. They're coming on Sundays and they can't help but be moved to tears or physically trembling or just being lost in this sense of peace and lightness. That is Jesus revealing his glory. That is Jesus revealing his glory at red. The physical expression of the spirit moving. We are seeing that within you. You are experiencing that. Deadly. People in this room, you have told us there is a new revelation of Jesus' love. People are encountering that first love again. Just like when you first met him, that is being enlarged. And an increased intimacy. There's a sense of conviction for some of us. This is Jesus' glory. When he comes close, what happens? We can't help but be changed. We see ourselves more clearly. Our identity is shaped the closer we get to him. Some of you have spoken of the increased desire to read the word. This is the glory of God, of Jesus coming close. I hunger after him. I want to come close to him. I want to understand him more. I want to read about it. I want to know more. Some of us are encountering new aspects of Jesus. And finally, spiritual gifts are being awakened or reawakened. There are people in this room are operating in spiritual gifts that they have never operated in before. Guys, isn't that Jesus' glory? Right? Look at this list. Can you throw them all up, Maddie? That'd be great. This is what God is doing in us as a people. This is your story. He is shaping you and he is coming close because he loves you and he wants to prepare us as his bride, his church, to represent what is to come 
that we would be signs of the kingdom, that we would speak signs, that we would see signs, that we would live that out, that we would encourage others in it. Guys, this is what he is doing. This is your story. Will we believe as Jesus does these signs? If you think about it, turning water into wine is like an acceleration of creation, isn't it? Which makes sense because he, he made it in the first place. Of course he can be like, water, I'm not going to let you go down into the earth and then blood up and then you're going to like produce the grape and then someone's going to crush it. And then, you know, he's like, watch me fast forward. But also he does that with us. We are his creation. Because he formed you, he can shape you. He can change you. He can bring life to you in a moment. He can bring the kingdom here and now. And he is doing that. That is your story. He wants to shape you. He wants to come close to you. He wants to reveal more of who he is. He is at work. And do you know what he's after? Your heart. Because you are his beloved bride. He's renewing our identity by revealing his. Will you look? Will you listen? I'm going to end this way. I believe this morning we have an opportunity to respond to him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just as the disciples did, they believed in him. They saw just a sign. We are seeing things. We are encountering things. Maybe this morning you feel like you're more like Mary. There's a bit of a, fam- I can never say this word, familiarity. Nailed it. With Jesus. Oh, yeah, that's Jesus. I've walked with him for a while. I know what he does. What if this morning it's time to change your perspective? He wants to actually change the relationship that you have with him. To be like, yes, I am still that Jesus, but there is more. Will you let me show you what I can do? Not just in your life, but around you and the people sitting either side of you. I love that you love me that way, but let me teach you another part of who I am. And do you know what? That's actually one of the joys of following Jesus. He's never ending. It's like this constant hunt and pursuit. It's like playing hide and seek, but forever. I think that's super pleasing. So maybe you're Mary. Maybe it's time for a change of perspective to have some new expectations of Jesus. And do you know what? You don't have to force that. You just have to ask him. What did Mary do? Hey, Jesus, they've run out of wine. She didn't say, so if you could just organize it this way and reveal yourself in that way, that would be great. No, Jesus, I trust you. Can you please do this? This morning, maybe you're Mary. Jesus, I trust you. Can you please awaken a new part of who you are to me? I want to know that. Or maybe you're a servant. And recently, I have heard stories, I felt this myself. He's asking you to do something that you're like, yeah, I don't know how that's connected to what's going on in my life. For me, it's sitting more in the creative. But do you know what my brain says? But I've got to read more. I've got to be more present to the word. I've got to read because I've got to preach and I've got to do these things and like, and he's like, actually, no, just come and sit with me. Just like the servants filling up the jars for ceremonial washing, you're kind of like, I don't know how this is linked at all to needing wine. Maybe that's what he's doing with you. Hey, will you trust me? Will you listen to what Mary said and just do whatever he tells you? Maybe this morning he's saying, just just do this, trust me. Sit with me in this way, pursue me, sit in worship, pray, turn up to 
a prayer meeting, sit in silence, read the word, whatever it is. He knows what's going on and the need you have. Will you trust his answer and how he wants to do that and how he wants to meet that? And finally, maybe we've fallen into some rote ways of engaging with Jesus, you know? I like in this passage, it talks about emptying out, well, the jars, the ceremonial jars are changed into new kingdom life. Maybe it's time to change how you engage with Jesus, to not just go through the motions, the rote ways of like, oh, yeah, and then we do this, and then I do that, and then I come to Sunday, and I see it stand, woo, done, I'm out. Actually, what if there was a time for a change? I said this a while ago. It's from Stuart Pig, and I believe it is still true, and it's a powerful statement. Red Church, we can no longer operate and live off the memory of God. We need the power of God. And he's saying, I'm coming close. I'm bringing my glory. Respond to me. Come to me. Bow before me. We are encountering Jesus. He's bringing that transformation, new kingdom life. And our invitation is to come forward and ask for more or to apologize for the ways we haven't believed in it, to be awakened to it, to be collectively shaped as his bride. He is renewing our identity by revealing his. And so we're going to spend some time now in worship. And this is a particular song that we are about to sing has some really beautiful lyrics that almost operate like a prayer. And what I want to share is that when you read about people that encounter Jesus in the scripture, they have a particular response a lot of the time. You see it in the Old Testament with the prophets. God, I'm not worthy even to be in your presence. Oh, my goodness. There's a sense of repentance and conviction and awe and wonder and just a surrender. Think about Peter. When he meets Jesus, he falls on his feet and he realizes, I am not worthy to be before you, but I love you and I want to serve you. I believe Jesus is inviting us to have that experience this morning. And not just as an experience, but actually because that's the truth. And that's the response it elicits when we actually encounter him. So I'm going to get you to stand and invite the team up, the worship team, because we're going to respond not just to this message, we're actually responding to Jesus. He's here. He wants to bring new creation into your life. And so I invite you to be bold, to don't check out at this point, to stay present, present to him. What has he said this morning? What has he said this week? Maybe he wants to say something now. And let these words be a prayer. And you can respond however you want. You can come forward if you'd like. You can kneel in your seats. You could stand as you are. You could sit. It's not about what you do or what others see you do. It's about responding to him. So let's sing together, pray this prayer as we celebrate and we come before Jesus who is revealing his glory.